Dear listeners, welcome back. I'm going to keep this short. This is our part two conversation with Alex Goldenberg, the founder and CEO of AG Consulting Partners, an established Northwest business management consulting agency up here in the Northwest. I hope you learn something new during this conversation, just like how I did. Thanks. Did you write a business plan? Uh, no. <laughs> it was literally just... I was fortunate enough where I had really strong client relationships and it was more around uh, just continuing doing what I was doing at Accenture. But I got it up to a point working for a large firm where I could no longer do hands-on work. And Mm -hmm. that really, really bothered me because I actually enjoy consulting, right? You know, there's a lot of things that come with running a consulting firm, like business operations, like business development. All those are important and all those are the things I still have to do. But up to this day, I'm still billable with clients because one, I think it helps you be relevant. I think mm-hmm. two, it allows you to organically grow and just gives you an excuse to walk the holes and actually know what you're talking about. Yep. Three, it, it lets you be in a position where if something goes wrong, you are able to actually fix the problems. You know, I, I have to say, like, I'll never take on any work that I can't, I or somebody senior in my firm can't fix if it goes south. Right. So that's why we, we have this kind of deliberate continuous growth. And I think lastly, it, uh, you get, you get a certain set of satisfaction of actually working day to day with a client on a problem and seeing it resolved, be resolved in a positive way. And I, I kind of miss that. So, uh, back to the business plan question. No, I didn't because, you know, I realized I had all these relationships and I could just come to them and say, look, I can do this work for you now at a much more reasonable rate, you get a great deal. I get to do what I enjoy. And we, you know, kind of, a, it's a win-win financially for both of us because the overhead is completely different. And that's how it started. Uh, I never really, as I said, we bootstrapped completely, never had to take a loan. The day we opened our doors, we had, you know, substantial amount of contracts already signed. So it was always about getting us billable, using the margin from, from the work, to put it to put it back into the firm, grow, bring on additional folks. So, you know, over the past eleven years, we really didn't have any debt whatsoever. It was all all bootstrapped. Yeah, that's incredible. It, the, the, so, so you mentioned I, I, it's just a saying: get, getting your hands dirty. You like getting your hands dirty. It, it, it reminds me of that that story of uh, the Toyota factory. That there's an executive walking around. And he hasn't been there in a long time. And, you know, he walks by this, this guy who, who's, uh, you know, he's looking at this machine that makes a part and he's scratching his head. He's just like, oh man, you know? And so the executive goes, what, what's, what's going on? What, what's, what's the trouble? He goes, oh, I, I dropped my, my tool into this, this pit of oil. And I, I'm, you know, I, I can't, I don't know where to get it. I don't know how to reach in and I can't find it. And the executive hands him his his briefcase, and he goes and he rolls up his sleeve, and he happens to be pretty tall, and he puts his hand in there and reaches around, and then pulls it out and he hands it to the guy, and then he just grabs the stuff back and keeps on walking. You know that that kind of reminds you of exactly what you're saying right now with wanting to be involved in the business. 
Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, uh, you have to understand all the nuts and bolts for various reasons in a small firm. I mean, ability to hire, ability to serve your clients, ability to understand the the needs. Uh, but also, I've been around a number of smaller firms uh, over the years in the area that started the wrong way, in my opinion, the wrong way, where the owners never really did hands-on consulting. So what they did is they, you know, they decided that this is a good area for good business opportunities. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to mortgage my house or take on a bunch of debt through other means, hire a bunch of people to the bench, and just leverage my business relations to come up work. So the day you open your doors, you are in the red. Yeah. Uh, and what that does is it makes everything very personal. It makes equity personal. It makes mm. uh, decision process very personal because you know your livelihood, your house, your kids' college. I mean, every, everything's on the line. Yeah. Whereas uh, our philosophy is that we would rather, you know, I'd rather own, you know, fifty percent of a twenty million dollar firm than a hundred percent of a five million dollar firm. Right. It's not about the way to grow is bring bring more people into the circle. But when you have a lot of debt associated with it, it makes it difficult. It, you know, limits a lot of your decisions, ability mm-hmm. to expend control, share control, because it brings in that fear element, right? The, the, the debt puts over you. So luckily, we were able to avoid that. And the only reason to do that is by never, by always, you know, the only way you can avoid debt in starting companies by doing the work yourself. Initially. Yeah. And, and luckily, in this industry, you don't have a lot of large capital expenses outside of you know laptops. And you know, we were virtual for the first seven years. We didn't have an office. Mm. We didn't need one. Yeah. Right? And over the years, when we, you know, speaking of plateaus, we got to that certain plateau, and that's when we realized we actually need an office space now. And then first we got a shared office space, then we got an independent office, and now we've worn onto our third office space now. But it's all about plateaus. It's all about that deliberate patient growth. Yeah. Did, did, did you experiment with contractors or freelancers maybe in that first uh, step you took after you and Michael took it on and started to grow it? Absolutely. Initially, we, we had a lot of 1099s. Mm-hmm. We're a large, a large percentage of our workforce just because that's a way to, it was the way to limit our exposure, our liability in terms of payroll. Yeah. And, uh, you know, but over the years, as we got you know, to a certain plateau, we felt like we were comfortable supporting a workforce uh and find additional contracts when existing contracts expire that's when we kind of converted most of our folks to to fts we still have contractors once in a while for very specific jobs that are not recurring or very unique skill sets or short-term projects but the majority of our folks are full-time because you can't build a culture with contractors just because it, it, it you really need full-time employees if you really want to build out a culture. Yeah, and, and then they, they feel like they have more of a stake in the business too, right? Exactly, and a, and a path and a stake. Yeah, I mean, one, yeah. one of our big things is stewardship, right? Where you take care of the firm, you find you, you try to leave it in a better place if you found it, and and uh, it's, it's hard to do that with a contractor model because they're independent business owners at the end of the day. I mean, they care about their own brand, their own business, so for, and for all the right reasons, right? So it's hard to ask them to treat your business like their own when it's not. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a pattern that I saw in people that started business consulting companies was a an, an emphasis on investing in, in not only in the business and the growth of your employees, but also in yourself. So, so uh, 
besides actually doing doing work and being on projects uh, f- for the company, how do you stay a category expert in marketing and sales? Uh, I, I think that requires, and, and it, it becomes more difficult when you actually run your own firm because the demands on your time get exponential, right? Because you, as I mentioned, you have to you, know, you deliver the work, you have to. Uh, you know, you have to do business development. You have to do business operations. But what I try to do is, as you mentioned, you know, there's certain blogs that I I pay attention to. Uh, and luckily, as I think we, as we talked before, we started recording. There's so much information available now, whether it's feeds or blogs or YouTube channels, where you you know you you find certain folks that influence you or you, you feel that are trendsetters, and you follow them. Uh, and the, the other benefit of actually doing hands-on work, as we mentioned before, is you actually get to stay on top of certain trends by doing client work. So being billable also allows me to keep up with certain trends through the project work, right? As we help clients solve certain problems or launch certain marketing programs, by default, it forces you to be in the middle of it, do research, look at competitors, understand what the market is doing. So that's another hidden side of being in the delivery. Yeah. It it, it forces that. Yeah. Right. It definitely does. Yes. You gotta get skin in the game. Uh, So you mentioned blogs, trendsetters, influencers. What are some, what are some blogs that you, that you read or, or maybe you find yourself in in the home of uh, when you are refining and learning more about marketing and sales? Yeah. uh, University of Washington uh, has, um, a center for sales and marketing excellence that I recently became a board member of. So I think there's a solid source for a number of papers and blogs and links. You know, they publish a lot of materials that I kind of can reference. Uh, And it's really all over the place. But being engaged in that community gives me access to a lot of the sales and marketing executives in the local area, both from a networking and knowledge sharing perspective, as well as a wealth of academic resources. So it's a combination of kind of a real world and uh, academic experience you can tap into. Yeah. Uh, and there's a social aspect of it as well that you know, they put on events. So I think that's probably been kind of the biggest thing for me over the past year or so is getting plugged into that because it gives you uh, exposure both at the academic level, uh, practical level by talking to other professionals and that social interaction. Yeah. Yeah, it reminds me of an enacting, you know, people think actors like Leonardo DiCaprio or I, I, I don't know, uh, someone else, Sandra Bullock, people of what Academy Awards that, that the moment they, they get the highest honor of an Academy Award, that they stop learning, that they stop working on their craft, but actually it's the complete opposite. You know, they're, they're seeking out coaches and, and mentors and learning different acting techniques. I think it's, it's always this, it's the same thing with anyone who takes their work seriously is, is being that category expert in their field, right? Well, I, I think, yes, I, I think that, but also when you run a firm, you also feel like you have responsibility to your people, mm-hmm. both as the mentor and, you know, and a provider of additional opportunities, right? So it's really hard to feel qualified to mentor your folks if you're not at the top of your game, as well as it hinders your ability to create, you know, sell new work, find new clients, thereby providing additional growth opportunities for your people. Because obviously the way to grow in a consulting firm is to expand your client base, expand your footprint of every client, which will allow your people to step up, bring in new folks. So that constant need to grow and evolve is there. And, it, and, the, and your people, you know, 
the, the, the core value of being a steward of your firm kind of forces you into that continuous learning mode. Yeah. So, so you mentioned trendsetters, influencers, and, and maybe you get some good exposure to that at, at the, the UW Center for, for Sales. Are, are there other ones outside of that, that that maybe, you know, nationally or globally that, that you that you follow or, or seek the, the, the wisdom of? I mean, there's a number of CEOs that I follow across the, the board, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, folks at Apple and Google, you know, some of the competitors uh, of my current clients, as I mentioned, some of the fashion industry, I always kind of follow that as well as, uh, you know, Netflix, uh, yeah, re- you know, read some, some of the newer yeah. economy. Exactly. Uh, it's more at the, at the I try to focus less on people. I try to focus more, more on, on the brand. kind of brands, yeah. brands and, and, and kind of industry trends because, uh, you know, people come and go and, you know, especially in larger firms, but, uh, but brands you know, are perennial. Exactly. And, we're, yeah. and, and it, it, I always find it amazing how brands evolve. Like looking at Netflix, for example, uh, or Uber, or even Apple over the years, right? How they adjust and adopt to their customer, and it can happen in two ways. One is they follow the customer need. Yeah. But some brands are actually able to define the customer need. I think this is where Apple is, is amazing, is they're able to define the customer need before the customer realizes they have that need. And mm-hmm. those brands are always amazing. Right, where, where they come up with an idea and everybody's like, who's going to want to, you know, Microsoft kind of in that same boat as well. Who's going, you know, the, the, who's going to want a PC in their home? You know, that was the conversation 40 years ago. Yeah. yeah and now right. you look yeah. back and it seems, it seems obvious. Or, you know, a smartphone. Like who's going to want everything in, in your phone? Like the phone was a phone, right? Even a mobile phone. Yeah. But, but being able to kind of envision that before the market does and, and and convince others to build that out. That, that's what's impressive to me. Yeah, those all three companies you mentioned did, did per, see. It, it appears like they predicted it. I, you know, Netflix with online streaming, they made that hard transition away from DVDs, and that was mm-hmm. that was probably a bit that they took. Microsoft with you know its its operating system. Uh, you know, probably many people back in the seventies thought that it was they didn't get it, and they thought it was a really boring thing. But uh, it was it was integral. It was like a you know not having motor skills in a human body and saying, all right, here's the human body. Just, you know, go and live your life. It's like the thing can't even move, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so I think all of them were able to see like that there, there's something huge here and people might not see it. There's, there might be a non-consensus here, but there's, we feel convicted that this is going to be something. Yes. But then there's, uh, so I think that, that that's one set of business. I think the other, they kind of put Amazon to that category where it organically evolved over time, where by building out their retail arm, they kind of stumbled into the need to create the uh, cloud-based services to support that. And then over time, AWS is actually outgrowing the retail operations just in terms of profitability. So there's different ways to do that and both are fascinating right and the speed of growth of amazon is also amazing to me and the brand they've built you know it's uh it's a little bit different but it's just another way to get there 
Yes, definitely. So you mentioned uh, you're you're part of maybe you're a board member of the uh, UW Center for Sales. So, so how do you how do you constantly build your network? Uh, are you part of are you actively part of groups? Uh, it seems like this is a pretty important part of a, a consulting firm is in being able to to find new business and find new talent. Yeah, I think that there's a number of ways. Uh, one is obviously. As I said, client delivery is a great way to build your network because you constantly are out there both selling and delivering and you meet new people, you meet new clients, every project, you know, because all these clients are also organic living, breathing mechanisms where uh, organisms, I guess, uh, where people shift and move in every project, you know, from the time you start the project to the time you end the project, the team morphs and shifts, gives you an opportunity to meet new folks, build relationships, keep in touch over the years. So. That's a that's a great way to continue building and enlarging your network. Uh, I sit on two boards in the University of Washington. One is the Employer Advisory Board uh, for the MBA program, which I'm an alumni of. Uh, and then secondly, as I mentioned, the uh, sales and marketing uh, group for the UW Business School overall. So those companies, um, well, so those boards hold uh, Quarterly events, uh, some sometimes it's monthly, sometimes it's quarterly. So it's also a great opportunity to network with the local professionals, uh, with you know within the Seattle area, uh, and 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 build uh, you know build those relationships. Definitely. So how do you attract new clients? Do you do you are you able to find new clients by being part of these two groups, or is it through more unpredictable ways? Uh, it, it's really. Combination everything. I mean, ultimately, there's two ways to build your client base in consulting. One is what I call organic growth. Some people call it farming. It's basically where you land and expand. Where you get into a certain space, you do great work, and then they ask for more and more and more, and pretty soon you build a little, you know, kind of a little colony within. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You, you know, you you build a little presence in a certain area, and then maybe you cross pollinate as clients move into other roles. They take you with them, or you work on an extended team, and you meet stakeholders from other groups involved in the project, and you and you build relationships there. And a lot of firms build their presence that way because that's the easiest way to do it. A lot of people are not comfortable with sales, so just you know, you do great work. People ask for more. That's the easiest way to sell. Uh, assuming you didn't work, right? The other way is to sell proactively, right? So you start packaging some of your offerings. We've recently invested in a number of folks that are actually going out there and trying to proactively build relationships with other clients, right? Because uh, one of our goals is to expand our footprint beyond some of the high-tech clients we currently work with. So uh, over the years, our success allowed us the ability to start investing in that, bringing folks in with complementary Rolodexes and relationships, and start taking our offerings to those clients. And we had a pretty good success with that. And that second one was selling packages. That's how you described it. Well, it's either selling, you know, basically, look, uh, packaging services. solutions. Yeah, yeah. Selling services or packaging solutions that we've done. And those solutions can be folks doing hands-on stuff with a certain methodology. But it's really packaging it up into an offering that you can easily take uh, to a place where we're in, in an unknown commodity. So look, we have done this in these three other places. We can do this for you. Give us a chance. And usually it starts off as a small, you know, small project, and then you go back to uh, kind of that organic growth. Yeah. Once you land, you can you can actually, you know, give yourself some time to 
you exceed expectations via delivery and then grow. Yeah, it seems like you can you can definitely leverage both of those uh, starting with the selling the package and then being so good that they can't ignore you and then landing and expanding. It's it seems like you've told me that AG has a pretty pretty unique uh, way of of business development and growth that that you, of enabling your employees to 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 do that. Maybe you could tell us more about that. Oh, absolutely. I think one of the things that we've done, and uh, you know, to this day, I don't know if anybody else does that to this particular level. But you know, we've enabled our employee, or we've always encouraged our employees to help us bring in new business because just that's a smart thing to do. But what we said is, look, if you help us bring in any incremental work, you will get to share in in the benefits of that. So every employee that is uh, responsible for bringing, or that succeeds in bringing a new project gets half the margin for the duration of that first contract. Wow. Yeah. And then they get, if the contract gets extended, they get uh, incentives and bonuses for the extension. But w- what it does is two things. One, it, it lets them uh, enjoy the benefits of their sale, but also being focused on bringing in new sales, right? Because it doesn't become a lifestyle thing where they just can milk certain contracts for the duration. They get the benefits of that first first sale, they get a bonus for the extension, and they get focused on that next sale, right? So, and, and that can be a significant uh, financial uh, reward for a lot of folks, right? Because uh, professional services, you know, are high margin uh, enterprise. So if you help sell a number of folks, you can literally, it takes three or four consultants that to double your income as, a, as an yeah. airlines or consultant so i i at, at this point about 10 to 15 percent of our revenue is, is comes from uh the sales that are made by our employees hmm. so, so it's it, it works great yeah and it, what, what i find interesting is it, when you try to initially explain to people they get it they intellectually get it but they don't fully understand it until yeah. they stumble into that first sale and then they see their paycheck. And they get it's the feedback. Like, right. Well, they get the feedback, they, and then they see their first paycheck, and they're like, oh, my God, this is like, you know, for the, the, this, first of all, it's not as scary as they think because most of their sales are organic, as I mentioned, because they're out there, they're talking to clients, they're doing work, and it's half the time, it's the client comes to them says, I need another you. And they're like, well, I can't clone myself, but I can find you somebody just as good. And they come to us, we help them close that sale. The next thing you know, you know, they see the impact in every paycheck that they have. And now they, they also feel, you know, back to the concept of stewardship. Now they feel responsible for that person. They feel responsible for the project. They help us with coaching, mentoring, a client a relationship, account management, right? So because, because it's 50-50, they feel like they're part owner without actually yeah. owning the company. So it has a lot of added side benefits. Yeah, it's a that's a that's a very smart idea, and it and it's an effective idea that works. How did you lean on that? Uh, I think, as I mentioned before, I think stewardship is a big core value for me. One of the best pieces of advice I got, kind of growing up in consulting, was you have to act like a partner when you're an analyst. Mm. You know, because you can't magically turn it on. Like you have to act like an owner, like the day you walk into a company, because. Uh, not in the like because you can't magically turn it on, you know, five, 10 years down the road. So I, you know, I always felt like I would rather give up a little bit more of my margin, but have people feel 
connected and 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 feel the ownership of what they're doing so by doing it 50 50 it makes it even though some people say well you're giving margin away potentially but what i'm also getting for that is i'm getting buy-in and ownership and that's very very important to me and i think you probably can relate to that maybe it's coming uh you know it, it kind of goes back to what we started with you know leaving a you know the former soviet union a socialist country where private property or private enterprise were forbidden yeah. I saw what happens when people don't feel ownership for some, something. They don't treat it well. Yeah. And once you have, once you feel like you own something or a piece of something, that's when you nurture it. That's when you take care of it, and you put your, all, all your heart into it. And that's important to me. And it's worth giving up a little extra margin to make sure people are bought in that way. Yeah, that's powerful. It it, it, it creates a root in that person where it it hits them in their bones, right? Absolutely, because what that does is that now it's their names on the line too. It's not yeah. just AG. It, it's yeah. also their reputation, their Stakes. name creates. And uh, and I think for most for most folks, that's a powerful incentive to do well, right? And to help the new consultant come up to speed, to train them, to give them feedback. And if something goes sideways, they're incented to help uh, put the project back on track. So you know. It, and what it does for us it, as a leadership team allows us to scale, right? Because we feel confident that that part of the firm is taken care of. Yeah. It, it, and that person becomes a it's a partner in the firm, you know, like, and, and I know that's, that's an actual official title, but I imagine if someone does that enough, they, they legitimately are, are becoming a partner because they, they have such a, they have more and more stakes in the business. It's, it's a, and, it's a stronger that's stakes. Ex- that's exactly the path to partnership is there's other criteria, right? You have to help with a lot of business operations stuff, but primarily it's ability to bring in incremental business. I mean, whether, whether you like it or not, do you look at any professional firm, yeah. you know, whether it's a law office or medical practice, you have, you know, in order to be a partner or a part owner, you have to be able to, to grow bring in incremental clients. Yeah. yeah. So, so consultants love solving hard problems. What is unpredictably challenging about growing a management consulting company? I, I think, people uh people. that's because our product is our people and at the end of the day you, you know the technical part you can teach but people management and people development that is the most difficult aspect of a people-centric business especially as time changes people people change culture changes the needs uh you have to be able to adapt and adjust, adjust and compromise and mentor and coach you have to wear so many hats yeah. at the end of the day majority of the time i spent and it's not a bad difficult it's just that's what the challenge is right it always forces you to do better because you have to be a leader you have to be a coach you have to be disciplinarian sometimes you have to be a mentor you have to wear so many different hats and at the end of the day that's your product it's not like you you know you build a piece of software you write a bunch of code and then you just you just sell widgets you sell your people and you have to train them you have to make sure they align to your culture you have to hire them so that is probably the most challenging part is managing your workforce hiring and managing your workforce and it's a good challenge to have and how does ag try to solve that problem of of people development i i think on several fronts i i think it all starts with recruiting i think we've uh put a lot of rigor into um, changing our recruiting process 
and making sure that we hire not just for the skill set, but also for culture. Because uh, in my experience, we you can have the most skilled person, but if they're difficult to work with, it's not going to work out. So yeah. skills, te technical and professional skills you can teach. Culture. Personality, fit, yeah. culture, it becomes a lot more difficult. It's not impossible, but it's a lot more difficult. So we put a lot of emphasis on recruiting, uh, bringing in the right folks, uh, putting them on the right projects in the position to succeed. And then because all of, all of our senior leaders are billable, just like myself, we're there day to day in the trenches with them. It gives us ability to understand what they're doing, provide the right coaching, real time um, adjustment. And then also investing quite heavily in our internal culture. You know, even now with COVID and uh, working remotely, like we have twice a week, we have various social events online where people uh, gather and kind of build that culture. And as I mentioned, I, I think at one point of this interview that it's interesting where this year for the first time, a lot of these things are happening outside of the leadership. They're happening organically. People are taking up the mantle and kind of running with it. Yeah. Trying to enhance and build the culture because they're vested in it. So, you know, twice a week we have, you know, I think on every Tuesday there's a virtual happy hour. People get together and just catch up and talk, have the time. I don't, you know, I'm not able to join, but I know it's happening. I see it happening online uh, through various alerts on my Microsoft Teams. Uh, and then every, I think every Thursday there is a, uh, kind of a people share their music. You know, they get online. It's kind of also like a happy hour, but it's more kind of music focus where people pick songs and talk about why that song is important to them. And that's a good way of sharing who they are, what they care about, kind of through music. And then you know, on Fridays, people have every other Friday is a game night where people play game, you know, board games or card games online, and it's another way to socialize. So, creating that culture. It, and it was amazing to watch because initially all that work has to have to be done by the leadership team. But now for the first time this year, we see that the, we've done enough work at the grassroots level that they're taking over. And it's amazing to see. And they're doing it actually better than we would have done, huh. which is probably the best. Yeah, be, be, because best outcome. You know, yeah. it's the best outcome you, can, you have. And obviously now there's a bit of a generational gap too, as we have a lot of younger consultants. So yeah, I mean, it, it, it's you kind of watch it morph and that's probably the proudest feeling you can have. It's almost like looking at your kid graduate or go to that next step in their development, right? Where you can kind of sit back and say, I don't have to be hands-on yeah. all of the time anymore. Yeah. And it's super rewarding. Oh, I can imagine. Uh, so so uh, we'll, we'll wrap up here in just the next couple minutes. But what's one piece of advice you can offer to someone who has maybe started their own management consulting company or really has a pull to do it like you did back in 2009? I think the best advice I can give is don't be afraid to get your hands dirty, right? Don't, don't look for quick wins. Just if you, if you love what you do and you know what you do, just don't be afraid to do it yourself first, figure out all the kinks and then you grow from there. Because I think a lot of folks start off by looking for quick ways to scale or a quick path to success. There's no quick path. Get your hands dirty. Understand every part of your business. You have to do every, every job within your business. And only then you can truly scale. And actually, that would also minimize your risk as well. Because mm. no matter what happens, you know you can kind of jump in and take care of it.
Yeah. So I, I highly encourage folks to really get very deep in every area of their business, not just the client delivery part, but also business operations. Uh, you have to know how your payroll is done. You have to know, hmm. you have to sign those financial reports. You have to truly understand it. It's really easy to outsource, but spend the time, understand every aspect of your business, especially when you're small, when it's easier to do, because it's going to be much harder when you grow. And uh, that way, even if you have to outsource it later, you will truly understand what is happening and you can actually jump in and resolve any issues that you may have. So get, getting your head, there's no substitute for really knowing every aspect of your business. Yeah, re- reaching into that bat of oil and finding that wrench, you know? Yes, some of the most, some of the, you know, most successful CEOs that I've read about have grown up within a company with that particular company by doing every single job you when you look at microsoft you know a lot of the senior vps they, you know, they've spent some time in marketing they've spent some time in sales they've spent some time on the engineering side they were in the field you know subsidiary organizations they've tried a lot of different jobs within the company that's how you know that's how you you prepare yourself for a leadership position because you can't manage people if you don't know what they're going through mm. Yeah, I I can definitely see that. So, uh, Alex, where can we find you? Uh, so, we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, we're on LinkedIn, and then agconsultingpartners.com. Uh, okay. Check us out, uh, look at our offerings, and then feel, also feel free to reach out to me if you have any questions. And my email is alexg at agconsultingpartners.com. Always happy to chat, whether it's about a potential project or yeah, experience of starting the firm, you know, love to grow, to keep growing my network. So thank you for the opportunity to talk to you. Really appreciate it. It's been, it's been a pleasure, Alex. And do you have any asks of the audience? Uh, I, I think uh, not really. I, I, I think this is a great opportunity. I think listening to podcasts like this is a great opportunity to continue to grow, learn other perspectives. Uh, and my biggest ask is continue networking. Even in these times where people are social distancing, there are ways to grow your professional network virtually. And I think that's what makes this work and our ability to uh, grow our businesses possible. So don't give up on that. Continue continue networking, whether it's virtual or maybe hopefully someday in person and uh, lift each other up. You're here. Yes. All right. Well, th- well, thanks so much, Alex, and we'll be in touch soon. Absolutely. Thank you for the opportunity. Okay. Thanks for listening to that two-part conversation with our guest. I really do hope I'm creating some value for you and making the journey of entrepreneurship a little less noisy, a little less lonely, and a little less stressful. Before you go, I want to ask you for one small favor. If you liked what you heard, please help grow the show with me by either one, reviewing on Apple Podcasts, or two, subscribing to the show. To sweeten the deal, we're going to do something a little special. If you review the show on Apple Podcasts, I'm going to enter you into a $50 Amazon gift card contest, which we're going to announce the winner of every other week. It's simple. Review the show on Apple Podcasts. It's that little purple podcast app on your phone. Go to the show, scroll to the bottom, and hit review. 10 seconds, 10 words, very easy, and be entered into a raffle for a $50 Amazon gift card, which we're going to announce the winner of every other Thursday. It's free money. You got to love that. And it's easy to do. If you wouldn't mind doing that, that would be amazing. Thanks and take care and good night.